Jeff googled the word trout and called up the Wikipedia page for the fish trout and is staring um. at it. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Hot Takedown, a sports podcast from 538. This is a show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is March 19th, 2019, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the assistant sports editor here at 538. I'm joined in the studio by both of my co-hosts, senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hi, Sarah. And 538 sports editor Jeff Foster. Hey, Jeff. How you doing, Sarah? I am doing great. It is so nice to have you both here in the studio for our debut episode very and we, exciting and we've got brackets and we've got brackets which is printed out about. brackets which um takes <laughs> me back printed out brackets it's pretty old school yeah i like it i like it a lot uh longtime 538 readers and listeners may remember the name hot takedown as our previous sports podcast if you're a former listener welcome back and if you're new we hope you like what you hear when you go to our feed which we encourage you to do you'll also see a pilot episode up from last week please check that out too On today's show, we will jump right into March Madness, looking at who made it and why they were chosen for both the men's and the women's NCAA basketball tournaments. We'll talk about trades in the NFL and whether teams should build their rosters with chemistry in mind. And we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. Before we get started, we have some breaking news. Mike Trout is expected to sign a record-breaking contract extension worth more than $430 million over 12 years. Neil, what does this mean? Uh, well, it strikes me as, even though it's a record, it's almost $100 million more than uh, Bryce Harper signed for a couple weeks ago. It seems really cheap for a player of Mike Trout's stature uh, on in terms of an average annual value. Uh, it's $35.8 million a year. That's more than uh, Harper got per year in his. Mm-hmm. I think he was around twenty five, twenty six uh in, in his deal. But if you look at uh, Trout's estimated value uh at fan graphs they try to put like a dollar value on a player's performance uh trout's 2018 season was worth 79 million dollars uh on its own uh his 2017 season in which he was hurt for a lot of the year so it was sort of a down year for him he's worth 55 million that year (laughs) and then uh he was worth at least 74 million each of the two years before that so it seems like you know, locking in Trout, who is the best player in baseball, best player of his generation, probably the best player in baseball period since, uh, you know, Willie Mays or, or, or Mickey Mantle or someone like that, um, at that deal for such a long amount of time mm-hmm. uh, seems crazy to me. If he had gone on the free agent market, it seems like people were talking about him potentially getting $500 million or more uh, in free agency. So I don't know if he just especially loves being anonymous in uh, Los Angeles and you know not even the flagship LA team. Um, also, we wrote about this earlier um uh, I think last week about how Trout has been surrounded consistently with terrible teammates with the Angels. They mm-hmm. don't seem to have a lot of uh, prospects to improve that in the short term, um, uh, even though they do have Shohei Otani next to him. A- and he is uh, in danger of never winning a playoff game uh, this whole decade, uh, which would be the first time that a uh, the best player in baseball for a whole decade had gone without a single playoff win since Walter Johnson in the 1910s. How much do you think he's going to be worth at the back end of that contract, though? I mean, we've seen what happens 
to a lot. I mean, look at Miguel Cabrera. Look at Albert Pujols. You know, it, it almost seems like a light went off overnight with some of these guys, you know, when they hit their mid-30s. Mm-hmm. And this is going till he's 39 years old in, an, in a time, which we've written about, where the game itself keeps, you know, shifting younger. Mm-hmm. But a vastly diminished version of Mike Trout is still going to be a very good player. Like, that's what's so funny about it is Wouldn't Trout has said so that about much— about Pujols, though? Oh, Trout is way better than uh, Pujols. Uh, you know, uh, ma- Pujols probably had like one season that's as good as like the average Trout season. We need to contextualize that Trout is sort of a unique once in a generation or once in multiple generations type of player. So those types of players, even when they age, they tend to have um, so much room to kind of fall and still be valuable that it will ease things. And also, you know, they always talked about the phenomenon of having young player skills versus old player skills. Players with young player skills, speed, batting average, uh, as opposed to, you know, drawing walks and power and, and some of those things associated with older players. Those types of players tend to age better. And Trout is still, as we talked about, he's the ultimate kind of five-tool player. He still runs the bases really well. He's got that great short, compact swing, great batting average. He seems like a player that is a great candidate to age well. We talked about Willie Mays as a comparison. Willie Mays was still worth, you know, four wins above replacement, I think, when he was like 41 or, or 40 or something. So I'm not worried about the back end of this deal at all, especially when you consider that baseball contract values are only going to appreciate over time. We could be looking at this as even more of a uh, of a bargain in five to ten years. I do think you can understand why Trout wanted to take care of this now, put to bed the speculation that he's going to go join Bryce Harper and and get a record payday when we don't know how much more teams are going to clamp down on signing 30-year-old free agents. Right. And, I mean, there's nothing guaranteed, right? He, obviously, we think he's going to be great for a long time, but who knows what could happen. He had an injury this year that, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. Things happen. Flukes happen. So it's not a bad idea to get the money when you can, especially given the, the kind of complexities of baseball's pay structure right now. Okay, well, let's move on with the rest of our show. We'll start off with the NCAA tournament. The brackets are out. The best part of the college basketball season is upon us, with the men's and women's tournaments finally getting underway this week. The men's tourney starts Tuesday with first four games, before the rest of the field takes the court Thursday and Friday. The first round of the women's tournament will be Friday and Saturday. So who's in and who's out? The committee this year didn't seem to care much about conference tournament wins, The Power 5 schools that won their tournaments weren't rewarded in their seeds, and the mid-majors that lost still made it. Here's ESPN College basketball analyst Jay Williams on first take, advocating for a reliance on conference seasons instead of conference tournaments. But my thing is, I think we should reward the team that actually has the best sustainable excellence, which comes throughout winning the regular season. So if you win the regular season, Mm -hmm. then get the automatic qualifier, not the conference tournament. Is that notable, Neil? I think it is a little bit notable, um, just in the sense like, you know, Michigan State is the great uh, poster child for this. They won the Big Ten tournament, and they still got a number two seed. And not only that, they got put uh, as the number two in the same region where Duke was the number one, who are this, Mm -hmm. like, prohibitive favorite, uh, uh, according to the Vegas odds and and the team that people have been talking about all season. And so it did seem like they were more sort of inclined to put these uh, smaller conference teams 
in as at-large teams and give them sort of interesting seedings. Like Wofford is a seven seed, which right. I don't think anyone would have expected to ever see uh, just a few years ago. Uh, Gonzaga was a number one seed. Uh, they didn't even win their conference tournament uh, and, and and still managed to be a number one seed. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that this represents kind of an interesting trend in the way that they structure the bracket and the way that they seed things. Um, and that being said, I think if you look at the comparison between the strength of the teams at uh, each seed number this year compared with other years in the past, uh, and I kind of mapped this out using our ELO ratings, which mm. are our sort of team strength ratings, um, the the top seeds are actually uniformly better, See, uh, especially seeds two through three. Uh, through seven, so the number one seeds are a little bit weaker this year um, than than in previous years. But I think that's an artifact of there weren't as many dominant teams maybe outside of Duke sure. uh, when they were at full strength. Uh, but those uh, teams seeded two through seven are mostly better at every single slot uh, than the average team in the average tournament at that particular seed. Uh, and meanwhile, the the teams that are seeded eight through eleven are actually a lot weaker than the typical teams at those seed lines. Um, from uh, history. So I think that it's sort of a sign of they did a better job of structuring the bracket. And maybe it's also a sign of the, just the fact that this like next tier of teams is especially strong this season compared with the, the typical uh, college basketball season. Yeah. It, It sort of feels like the conference tournaments for the, for the big conferences, it's like a golden ticket. It's a way to like get it. It's a way to keep, you know, keep optimism alive in March. If you're Pitt or Georgetown and you're, you know, hovering around 500 and like, Oh, okay. We just have to, you know, go on a run. Whereas in the smaller conference, granted, and you know, any school in the country can win their conference tournament now that the Ivy league has a tournament um, and (laughs) you, you get in, but it often feels like a way of losing a bid. You know, like we've dominated all year and we still have to beat these, you know, three or four teams, two teams Mm -hmm. and or we're not going despite what we've done. So inherently, I think there's a problem with the conference norms, especially in the smaller conferences where, you know, the the best, you know, the best team in the conference. Really, ideally, everything should be like the way the Ivy League was, which everyone hated, where it was like the premiership and the best team with the best record made the tournament. Right. Although this year does seem to be a little bit different. Like there was worry at one point that like. Murray State and Belmont wouldn't both make it, but they did, even though Murray State beat Belmont in the Ohio Valley final. And that's a good trend, I think. Right. You know, Agreed. instead of putting it all on this uh, series of like three games or something in right. uh, in mid March, to have uh, if you're a, a smaller conference school. Everything right on that and, and give no meaning whatsoever to the preceding, you know, handful of months. Now it does seem like you have more wiggle room to get into the tournament, even if you don't win your conference tournament. And maybe that comes at the expense of, you know, uh, an at large bid from a major conference right. school. The other thing about the Michigan State in particular, let's think about the Big Ten tournament. That thing ended. Literally three minutes right. before they start, CBS just started the selection. Well, like, what if Michigan State had beaten Michigan by a hundred points? Well, they're both like, twos, right? No, yeah, I'm, uh, that's what I'm saying. I mean, so, it yeah, didn't, didn't matter, ma- no, yeah. but it didn't make sense. Yeah. Michigan lost to Michigan State and then got an easier draw, right? So, uh, right. what was the point of that game? Well, that's really? interesting. I mean, besides too. for the banner, right? <laughs> but like the Big Twelve moved its title game from Sunday to Saturday to try to avoid that. 
And I think at the end, it just it doesn't really matter. They don't even have like ten minutes to look at that. <laughs> right, 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 right. Maybe they checked in at halftime, and it's like, almost yeah, like okay, we're they fine, have yeah. to go. You know, before the game, already Michigan wins. They get the yeah. Michigan, and it actually, if you look at the bracket, it looks like they did, it didn't even matter. Yeah, well, and that's like with the ACC. That's where I I agree that the mid majors. I'm glad that the tournaments aren't the be all and end all. On the other hand, you have three ACC teams, two of which lost in their conference tournament. So there was no penalty for that. And that strikes me as being a little, what's the point, I guess? Why don't, why don't we just all adopt the Ivy League strategy? Maybe so, the but... Previous. You which know, everyone hated. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> but when you do look at, you know, if you look at the Ken Pomeroy ratings, the ACC did have three of the top six teams in the country. Um, you know, so it, it was a very top-heavy conference where you could at least make a case that they deserve to have, um, uh, you know, at least two of the number one seeds, if not the third in there. Well, the third is where I'm most annoyed because, like, Carolina beat Duke twice without Zion. And they get credit for that, even though Duke also gets credit for Zion being back. Yeah, it doesn't so, seem like, like a zero sum game <laughs> yeah. where it's like, you know, they're, I don't they're sort of. The logic. Yeah, it's a very circular logic yeah. um, where, like, you, you hold a certain set of rules for one team when judging them and then completely, like, turn off your brain and put in, like, a different set of rules when judging a different team and it's, like, self contradictory. I totally get that yeah. uh, in there. Yeah. I'm also, I mean, let's be honest, I'm a little annoyed that my alma mater, Iowa State, won the Big 12 tournament and got a worse seed than the team that they beat. Oh, two, two slots worse. Yeah, and Kansas is playing in, in the Kansas City Regional because, of course, because why don't you get... Well, that happens with Kansas every year. I feel like every that's year. written into yeah. the NCAA uh, bylaws yeah. that they have to put that's Kansas just in a part favorable. Of, yeah, that's just part of it. And I don't understand why that is and why it will always be. But I guess that's just, <laughs> just the way that it is. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about the bracket and who we like in it. Um, are there any mid-majors that stand out to you guys that you think might win a couple games? Well, to me, I mean, I like Belmont. Um, that's, mm-hmm. uh, I think, one of the hot uh, mid-majors, if you had to kind of pick one, at least in terms of their odds of of making, you know, winning a few games. Uh, they They have... A winnable game in that first round. Obviously, they they have to play their way in to begin with uh, against Temple. But if they do win that, Maryland is not a very difficult um, mm-hmm. six seed for them to kind of topple. Uh, and then LSU is. I think we had them as one of the most vulnerable teams, uh, top you know top three seeded teams in the entire tournament. Uh, and you know they're going through this scandal with Will Wade, their coach. Uh, they were ousted. You know, somewhat early in their conference tournament, despite being the number one seed uh, there, and so this is a team that you could easily see. It's not even clear if they'll beat Yale in the first round, uh, and so I think all of that sort of sets up for uh, Belmont to at least be able to kind of make um, the Sweet Sixteen potentially. Then they'll run into Michigan State, and it might not be as easy. Right? Yeah, LSU we have as the twentieth ranked team in our power ratings, so that. Um, is a maybe and yet they were trouble. a three seed. and then there's three seed yeah so that that'll be interesting I actually I feel like every year there's one part of the bracket which you just look at you know going into the sweet 16 you're like oh where it's just like all like tens <laughs> and 11s and like what happened here right um, I'm circling just that same part you were talking about <laughs> right. Belmont I do think Yale wins in the Ivy League tournament Yale hit 44 of 46 free throws in two games. 
you never want to play a team that doesn't miss free throws like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just scary. Yeah, yeah. So I've been looking at the um, classic 5-12 matchup, but 12 seed always wins, right? Murray State as a 12 seed, that's a nightmare matchup for Marquette, right? Oh, yeah, with John ja Morant, um, you know, the the player that I think everyone has been talking about uh, from from among mid-major players, at least, um, going up against Marquette, who I don't think is very highly rated by our system. Yeah, they had kind of a bad, like, last stretch yeah. of games. Um, and so that's, I think, a really interesting matchup, and a lot of people are going to pick that. And I think this is also where you get into those head games about, you know, it's like, hmm, if everyone is talking about this upset – then maybe I should actually, against my better judgment, pick the favorite. Right, right. <laughs> and then it just sort of kind of uh, snowballs into that. And then you end up with, like Jeff was saying, with a really weird set of very um, like undesirable matchups later in the bracket. And right. you're just looking at it and you're like, God, why did I do that? And you have to either make <laughs> the choice. This seems foolish. <laughs> yeah, you have to make the choice of either like unwinding it uh, and, and kind of rethinking things or just rolling with it and just really like, eh, let's see what happens. Oh, that's – that – leads me to a question how do you guys when you fill out your bracket do you start with the final four and work backwards or do you pick the first games first no who does do, I, I do people do that yeah. yeah yeah oh I, my I do god who yeah. does that that's I, crazy i do it oh my <laughs> god i've never heard of I someone actually no i actually that. start with the champion sure well right yeah, completely yeah. inside out <laughs> wow and you know how to pick right you know who you but, need to move advanced. because that's what's most important i mean this is the funny thing is that people on thursday and friday this week across the country will be getting furious <laughs> you know when minnesota beats louisville right. because they didn't have that and none of that really matters no. like the way too much emotional uh emotional commitment to the first round and how you do in the first round in your bracket but the first round is the most fun it is the most part of the tournament and it's the most emotionally gratifying i think because you have all of these results uh just hitting you in waves and it's like it's like you are at you're you know you're at a casino in vegas and you're just like playing with with free money and you're just like oh i made this bet and that bet and this one didn't work out but this one could still work out and i could still break even by the end of the day and then you look at it you know at the end of friday and you're just like oh god what did i do <laughs> this is how you end up with murray state as your national champion accidentally you're, you're saying like, oh, you whoops. didn't have murray state going all the way <laughs> i i don't well all right who's your final four neil well so i picked um a bracket in our uh, espn group which um i always do this espn has a very cool function in which they let you compare not just uh, a statistical model like the one we have at 538, but they also have uh, like a machine learning decision tree model. They have similar games. They simulate every game, and they just show you the the results side by side of all of these different ways. So it's a little bit of an information overload, but you also feel like you're getting like every possible angle that you could look at uh, (laughs) in the thing. And so I tend to kind of look at that when I'm filling out a, a bracket and kind of playing around with it. So I ended up with Michigan State, Virginia, Texas Tech, and Houston. And then I had uh, Virginia beating Michigan State in the final because I felt like Virginia was a team that's going to be undervalued by people. Everybody's going to remember the 16 beating the one, uh-huh. and they're going to have them losing early. And then that's a place where you could potentially pick up ground on the field. Okay, That was my logic. That's fine. Virginia is not the egregious part of your bracket, BT Dubs. Like, you have, <laughs> you have Michigan State beating Duke. That is a totally reasonable okay. result. And then I know that you don't think very highly of Houston and you have them going to the final four. Do I not think highly of Houston? I, well, I'm a big fan of, uh, 
you know, Houston in general because like they the city. <laughs> Ed Oliver's uh, PR people sent us a, uh, a bobblehead of him riding a horse <laughs> before last college football season. He had a little bit of a trouble with a with a coat incident during the season, but mm-hmm. I still, you know, and I also had Auburn. This is sort of getting into maybe why you do pick the bracket backwards <laughs> because that was a direct consequence of having Auburn upset North Carolina in the previous round. I like Auburn. Auburn seems like a very good pick in in this bracket just on the on their own they also go through a Kansas team that has been very underwhelming uh, and seems primed to lose mm-hmm. and so you end up with Auburn North Carolina why not pick Auburn but then you have to end up uh, either picking Kentucky or Houston I was tired of picking Kentucky you know there are other options I want to pick Houston corner of the bracket Neil um I believe I had Iowa State losing to Ohio State in the first round. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but I'm a bracket purist. I like to just go as though every single result was coming, you know, playing out in my mind and then, you know, <laughs> structuring it uh, uh, according to that going forward. Wow. All right. Well, okay. There you, there you have that. Jeff, what's your final four? <laughs> I don't know if I can top that. <laughs> no, definitely um, not. <laughs> Duke. Mm-hmm. Michigan. <laughs> big surprise no it actually is a surprise it Wait. actually is a surprise because I, I did go to michigan mm-hmm. but i'm usually quite down on them but um i am not i'm going to be very optimistic and positive this year <laughs> um i've seen john bayline's teams in the tournament he's he coaches good tournament teams so why not and also i don't really like anyone else in there gonzaga maybe um and then i'm not gonna, murray state <laughs> not in the final four um and then i'm gonna go villanova as my Ooh, wow. surprise. Interesting. That's, that's As my bold. surprise. Wow. I, this is, again, a coach play. It's a Jay Wright oh. play. Um, I watched them in the Big East, and they look like they should have lost every single game they played. Uh-huh. But yeah. they won every single game they played. That's not true. Um, in the Big East <laughs> tournament. Um, okay. No, Michigan beat them, too. But that being said, I think that's a little bit of a – that's my sort of, I guess, sleeper. And then yeah. in the Midwest, I don't know. Anyway, it's a mess. <laughs> Who knows? Iowa See, State. I'm yeah, taking yeah, Iowa go. State oh, for sure. Oh, that's nice. I'm not taking Iowa State, but I like that you are. Um, see, that's how I feel about the South. I like. I, I don't want to pick Virginia, but I don't. I don't believe in Kansas State. I don't believe in Tennessee or Purdue either. So, I mean, someone has to win, and I'm just not. I, don't know. I wanted badly <laughs> to pick Tennessee, by the way, because uh, first of all, I just feel like that's a program that hasn't. You know, traditionally sure, been yeah. they, they've had a lot of regular season success recently, but they haven't quite gotten over the hump. I have a soft spot for teams like that, and so yeah. maybe before things tip off on Thursday, I might. For someone who does a lot bracket. of statistical analysis, you seem to pick with your heart, Neil. I do pick with my heart. <laughs> you know, I've gone through various phases in my life, but I felt like I had more fun when I was picking from my heart. So I've decided in the past couple of years to just do that again. Is that the wrong thing to say on a podcast devoted <laughs> to uh, statistical thinking and, and uh, going against our hot takes? Our model is actually just Nate in a room just picking, picking from the heart. heart. <laughs> and we just call it a model. Which is why Michigan <laughs> but, State tends to have such oh, high right, odds right, most right. of the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, just to wrap this up, my other uh, final four picks are uh, Duke, I like Texas Tech, and I like Kentucky out of the Midwest and the South. I have no idea. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way we ba- we both basically abstain from an entire region. I, I, you know, it's only Tuesday. We, um, <laughs> we have a couple days to make up our mind. And actually, please join us for a live blog at 538 on Thursday and Friday afternoons. You can play hooky from work and watch the games with us. Um, that's at 538.com. 
All right, let's move on to the women's bracket, which came out last night after a a little bit of a snafu. It was released a little early, which I was thrilled about because it gave me more time to look at it, which was fun. Yeah, that was fantastic for like, you know, us journalists that have to like do things off of it. We were like, yeah, I'm glad that we don't have to wait. In fact, they should release it on Twitter as like a press release in the morning. Yeah. Didn't that happen one year for the men that that accidentally got leaked? Yeah, but it was it was a little bit more cryptic. It was like people going, wait a minute, this is the right bracket, you know, like, <laughs> right. and that matches. And that, you know, like, yeah. they were like putting it together in real time that it was, because a lot of people thought it was a hoax. Anyway, right, right, yes. right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was great. Um, but of course, the shocker for the women's side was that UConn ranked second in the AP poll and first overall in our ELO ratings is not a number one seed for the first time since 2006. Neil, what was the committee thinking here? I don't exactly know, because if you look at all the various power ratings, for instance, there's a wonderful uh, women's basketball uh, statistics site called HerHoopsStats.com. And uh, they have a rating that they're basically trying to be the Ken Palm of of women's college basketball. And they have UConn as the fourth best team in the country, which is a departure for them, but still in the number one seed line. And I think if you look at our ELO ratings, UConn is still number one in the whole country. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could understand if they put them as a a one seed but dropped them down to maybe like the least favorable, you know, uh, part of that seed line. That's justifiable. It's a place that UConn's not used to being in. But I don't think it's justifiable uh, to put them as a number two seed uh, for the first time in how many years? 15? 13? 13. And so um, to to put them as a number two seed, I don't think is justifiable according to any kind of metric. And we can get into sort of the things around that where like – Maybe geographically they're mm-hmm. getting sort of a little like uh, a makeup call, uh, if you will, off of that. But it's just it's weird. And especially Louisville is only seventh in the Her Hoop Stats rating uh, in the country. So to have them be the number one seed in the same region as UConn, who is fourth in that metric, um, demands an explanation. You know, it affects the whole that whole side of the bracket. Buffalo is a 10 seed that's sort of interesting. And in their second round, they'd immediately face UConn instead of a, right. Instead of a, instead of a, you know, a worse rated Louisville team. So yeah, when they kind of mess with those, and I just, I don't understand why. Is is the problem that they want them to play in Albany? I mean, is that, is that the conspiracy here? I I guess, but again, they're rather than being a one seed in say Chicago. Right. But again, what are you punishing them for? Exactly. They're still number one in ELO. Like they're, it seems like they're being punished for being. Good. Is Albany even close to that part of Connecticut? <laughs> close enough. It's closer than Louisville. My yeah. upstate New York geography just gets all twisted around. Wow. And that's like four <laughs> New hours York away. New York native there, nice. <laughs> uh, um, you know, yeah, downstate. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I, I, I don't really understand what they were thinking there. I mean, the women's committee has been focusing on geography more this season with their um, sixteen rankings every week. Um, and it seemed like they were going to be placing the seeds according to their geography instead of just their strength. The regions aren't very balanced. That Albany region has the um, the lowest combination of seed numbers. So all of the best seeded teams are are in Albany, really one through four seeds. So UConn, as a number two, has uh, the number two um, AP poll ranking. Louisville was five. Maryland was nine. And Ohio State was 11 as their four seed. That's kind of that's kind of nuts. The other regions are much more balanced, and so that one just seems completely out of order. But Oregon's playing as a two seed. That regional ends in Portland, 
So that's a little unfair yeah, to Mississippi State, mm-hmm, is yeah. the one seed. I so mean, that's re- a virtual road game right. in the Elite Eight. Yeah, the way they've rewarded teams, it was confusing to me. And, you know, we've talked um, at length in the past about how the women's tournament has just so much less parity mm-hmm. than on the men's side that often you will see the favorite, which is usually UConn, it's almost always UConn, mm-hmm. going into the tournament with, like, a 60 to 75% chance of uh, of winning the tournament uh, before the ball is even tipped off. And right. some of that is, you know, home advantage in the early rounds. And But a lot of that was, for a long time, UConn was just so much better than everyone else. Uh, and so you could sort of see if they were trying to put their um, thumb on the scale and m- create artificial parity by, like, seeding things in a certain way uh, and, and putting UConn as a two might you know, help parity by, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, the changing the gravity of certain pockets of the bracket so that, you know, you have um, certain teams have an easier path, but other ones have a more difficult one. But this was not the year to do that. This was a down year for UConn. Uh, I know we just got done saying they deserved a, a one seed and were grievously robbed of <laughs> such a such a ranking. But they were, you know, arguably not the best team in the country, uh, according to you know, a lot of different metrics, sure. uh, they, they still could be on the number one seed line while not being the runaway best team. And so this was sort of like a banner year for parody just naturally, like right. it happened um, automatically. Uh, and, and UConn, you know, they haven't won the championship already the past two tournaments. And this was, you know, one of their uh, most down years in a long time. So you didn't need to do something like this to try to kind of artificially create parity or play with the brackets the 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 way that it looks like they did, uh, and so I just found that to be so bizarre that um, that they chose to do that this of all years, which is a, a year of shocking parity. The favorite in our model right now, Notre Dame. Uh, only has a 30% chance of winning the tournament, which has to be the lowest that a favorite has had in any of the seasons that we've predicted the women's tournament. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Well, and you said, you know, it is it was a down year for UConn, or it was perceived to be a down year for UConn. They still only lost two games. I mean, no, they still had... Down year. Yeah, they still had... <laughs> yeah, they were beating teams by uh, only 50 points a game instead of 75. Right, right, right. So, I mean, it's a little, you know, some of this is kind of, it's it's hard to even talk about because they're obviously having a good year. So the perception of how well they were has a lot, it, it's more that than it is their actual record, which I, I don't know if that's the, the best idea for the women's committee. It seems like every metric, UConn was still was still on the top. So, um, Neil, who do you have in your final four for the women? Well, you know, I'm going to go with UConn, uh, despite their, you know, I feel almost like they're going to ignite a, um, uh, like this righteous indignation mode where they, they just sort of lay waste to things, uh, at least in their region. Um, and I'm going to go with another two seed in the, uh, in the Portland region. And that is, uh, Oregon. Uh, and and then I'm also going to go with Notre Dame and Baylor, um, uh, to make the final four. And, you know, I always pick UConn to win it all. And, uh, it hasn't been rewarded the past couple of years, but I've, I've got a feeling that, you know, that they might find an extra gear this year. Nice. Nice. How about you, Jeff? I'm going Baylor and Mississippi state. Okay. That's, you know, some, it took me a long time, a lot of analysis, <laughs> and I came up with the two best teams. Nice. Uh, the two one seeds. And then I'm going to go with the two twos. I'm going to go with Stanford and UConn. Oh, wow. Nice. So, Stanford. Um, you know, Over not game. much of a risk yeah. taker on this side, but. Yeah. Who do you have as your national champion? 
I'm going Miss State. Mississippi State, really? I, I think, you know, they're they're at risk of becoming the Buffalo Bills of <laughs> women's college basketball, and, and no one wants to see that. No, so nobody. <laughs> I'm pulling for them. Yeah. Um, I, I like Baylor as my national champion. I saw a lot of them this year. Again, I'm a Big 12 fan. They are very, very good. Um, so I like them as the champion. Uh, at, but my final four is the same as Neil's, which I think is the same as our models. Uh, I'm pretty sure the model has Oregon and and obviously UConn. Big coincidence that yeah. I would pick <laughs> according with the but, model. Hey, it makes sense. But it's, a, it's, I mean, even though that's still chalky in a sense, it's less chalky than sometimes when two, literally two all, seeds. yeah, all yeah. number four seeds off, often go to the final four in the women. So lots of basketball to continue to talk about over the next couple of weeks. Very excited to get the, the tournaments underway. There have been a flurry of trades and transactions over the past week in the NFL, with the most notable driven by the concept of team chemistry. First, Antonio Brown was moved from Pittsburgh to Oakland. Then Odell Beckham Jr. found himself shipped out of New York and into Cleveland. Colin Coward on Fox Sports' The Herd thinks chemistry will be a problem this fall for the Browns. Cleveland next year is not an X's and O's debate. Their offense is going to be fun. This is a cultural debate. They're going to be loud with a puppet head coach and an ego-driven GM, and a quarterback that's cocky. Neil, you've written a lot about the Browns and their path back to respectability after their winless season in 2017. As they build on their talent, how much should they worry about egos on the team? I tend to think some of these chemistry things are a little overblown or that they um, the, the arrow of causality goes between a team winning right. to having good chemistry rather than the other way around. Uh, and, you know, I think... Talent trumps chemistry in more cases than I think sometimes we the 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 hot takers in in the media like to talk about. And this team has a lot of talent, and I think that they are following a very sort of well defined and kind of proven blueprint. Uh, the idea that you find the franchise quarterback uh, in the draft, and then you just do everything you can while he's still on his rookie deal uh, to surround him with weapons and, and kind of load up on talent around that to win within that short window before you have to give an extension and pay that quarterback what right. they're actually worth. Uh, and we've seen this uh, with the Rams they did it uh, with Jared Goff. Of course, mm-hmm. Goff was terrible in the Super Bowl. We'll ignore that. Um, uh, we, we've seen this, uh, you know, in, in the early part of this era with like Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. That was an example of making great use of a quarterback on mm-hmm. a, uh, a cheap rookie deal. Uh, and so I think that is the paradigm that teams are trying to build after in the NFL right now because of the, the way that the current collective bargaining agreement sort of makes these quarterbacks so undervalued relative to their contributions. Uh, and so the Browns are, are the latest team to try to take advantage of that. And I think that's really smart. Uh, you know, it doesn't always work. The Rams didn't win the Super Bowl with it, despite sort of taking it to, I think, the, the fullest extent that a team had tried to do up until that point. Um, but it does seem to be the proven way. Uh, you know, in the past, you would just say, well, the part that we need is the franchise quarterback full stop. Right. But now that we've seen the, the escalating salaries of these top quarterbacks hamstring their team's ability to surround them with talent. Your Matthew Stafford's and and your you know uh, Joe Flacco's and people like that. Uh, once they got paid, they stopped winning. Uh, and so uh, maybe Matthew Stafford never actually did yeah, the winning what? beforehand. Um, but but it seemed promising at, at a certain point uh, in Detroit. And so um, 
yeah, I think we have sort of. Uh, the Browns have learned from the mistakes of other teams and they're trying to kind of apply those lessons as much as they can and they should be commended for it. Yeah, totally. And they're, I mean, their Super Bowl odds jumped way up after they got OBJ. I mean, that's probably the know. highest the Browns that's... Super Bowl odds have been in 30 years. Right. I mean, since, er, since Ernest Biner fumbled that ball <laughs> on the one yard line or whatever it was, that was the last time they had higher right. Super Bowl odds. That's, there's an amazing amount of hope right now in Cleveland, and there has not been a lot of hope for a while in Cleveland. Well, yeah, I think we talked about this with the Mets last week about how, um, being respectable and being in the conversation and being relevant seems like a lost art in mm-hmm. not just football in in all sports i think now in this age of of tanking and kind of strategic demolitions of teams and so um even making an effort to be good is sort of you know should be should be also be but, commended yeah it seems ridiculous that we have to be like Pat someone on the head for trying. Yeah, Yeah. But I think you're exactly right, Neil. I I think there is a totally new trend of, hey, we've got a good quarterback. He's really young, and we're not paying him anything. Mm -hmm. Let's try Like, the Jets are are trying to win the Super Bowl next year, which is preposterous. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Of course it's preposterous for many reasons. (laughs) But look, the last time they even got close, the AFC Championship, they had a a rookie quarterback and the Sanchez again on his second year when they're paying him nothing. And they had a lot of, like, expensive Bart Scott types on defense. And that team did have success on the field way more success than they've had in in other eras so you know if they've seen enough to think like you know this kid is good good enough to get to the super bowl then let's surround him which makes what's happening to the jets um roommate in life stadium (laughs) even more unbelievable because they're just doing the opposite of what everyone out like you know the the ravens are we're we're done with joe flacco we don't need him we're at lamar jackson you know even the dolphins give Tannenhill all this money they're admitting it's a mistake they're moving on and the Giants with this loyalty to Eli and also at the same time just making perplexing moves left and right signing Golden Tate I mean uh, Neil I don't know where they fit in in your scenario of teams going for it I mean are are they doing what the Mets are doing because you probably hold on to Odell Beckham in that spot yeah I I kind of yeah I I think this will pain a lot of uh, New York sports fans to to hear that the New York Giants which are always this pillar of stability and and you know project this this image uh, of being above the fray are somehow like less uh, less in control of, of what they're doing and, and have less of a sense of what they're doing than the Mets, who are typically... The Mets and Jets <laughs> seem to go together as, like, the laughingstocks of the New York sports scene. So for the Giants to actually, like, be like, hold my beer uh, yeah. is is something that we haven't seen, I think, well, in a I, while. And I think we thought the Giants would go after a quarterback in this draft. Now, there's, there's rumors that they are not interested in, like, Dwayne Haskins, so they're going to draft defense at six and... What? It it all goes back to taking Saquon Barkley. Yeah, right. You only take a running back two overall if you're built to win right then. Because Saquon Barkley is running. The amount of volume he's getting and the amount of hits he's taking between catching like 15 passes a game and running with it more than 20 times, like he needs to win like next year. Right. He's you know, it's Sha- Saquon trouble. Barkley, yeah. running backs have a short shelf life. And-, yeah. and that's, you know, you mentioned the Jets with getting Le'Veon Bell. Like, getting Le'Veon Bell is what you do when you have yes. Sam Darnold and you have other right. pieces that you might be kind of loading up and taking your shot at, at having a window of 
contention. It's not what you do on the back end of your Hall of Fame quarterback's career in which he's being contemplated being uh, benched in favor of some guy that runs over traffic cops when he's trying to make right turns in New Jersey. (laughs) Whoops. And, I mean, I am going to love seeing uh, Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield together because those are two guys that I think have been at various times considered cocky head cases mm-hmm. right. like you know all of these kind of negative things that they like to throw around but you could also see a universe in which when those two guys get together they're gonna have a lot of fun playing football together absolutely and i think cleveland fans will have fun watching them at five thirty-eight, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data some lead to stories but some don't we are going to end each week's show with one of those descents the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week This week, the rabbit hole belongs to Jeff. So one of my obsessions, if you've been around me in March um, for any of my years, is uh, team names, particularly obscure college basketball team names. Um, I look forward to it every year. (laughs) Uh, So uh, basically what I did is I went through the tournament and I I pulled out some of my favorites. You know, these are Mm -hmm. not necessarily the best i mean we could have done a little better we could have got the campbell fighting camels oh, in there yeah, a, that would have been ideal yeah um but some decent ones so let's go through it and you know i'm gonna sell you this the most disappointing thing is when you find a really obscure team on the bracket and then you look up their nickname and it's the wildcats <laughs> come on guys yeah. so it's you're not really, what you're there for you're really excited about like new entries yes. into the canon yes i like new entries in the canon and this is my ideal name my ideal name is one that none of the other 350 teams in the country have so it's unique right it's usually an animal and preferably a mammal that, that's my criteria. A mammal. So, like, the ideal name... Well, for instance, this isn't a mammal, but I love the Richmond Spiders. Sure. Great name. There's yeah. no other spiders that's in the country. Right. There's no other spiders in, in pro sports. Perfect. Campbell Camels would be ideal, but they added the fighting camels. I don't really understand that. Uh, you camel, don't like adjectives. Cam, I don't like adjectives. Mm. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. And I also I prefer it if the animal is indigenous to where they play. Oh, so for the sure. Campbell Campbell also sort of doesn't check that box. But let's get to this year's names. Uh, the best, obviously, the UC Irvine Anteaters. Obviously. Um, we actually, this is the other thing in this rabbit hole, is I like to find out how they came across <laughs> the, the name Anteaters. And the answer to that question is they voted on it. So we found this old newspaper article that says, it's official, Anteater mascot. <laughs> I don't know what it's from, but the funniest part of this article is, running second with only 121 votes was none of these. <laughs> <laughs> Options weren't great there. <laughs> so they were kind of nihilistic. There. Is Anteater um, or bust? <laughs> um, there are some other good ones. The Billikens. We've seen them before. St. Louis has obviously even had high seeds, but Billikens Larry is a great Hughes. one. Not an animal. But a weird good luck charm from the turn of the 20th century. So back in the early 1900s, it was a weird sort of good luck charm, and it, it's basically like a gnome. And uh, even them are not; even they are not that sure huh. what one is. <laughs> it's no longer. It's basically would be like naming your team after a fad at the time and sure. just sticking with yeah, it. Like yeah. we're the we're the slap bracelets, the fidget spinners. <laughs> and that's it. And so a hundred years from now, like what are slap bracelets? Oh I don't know. That's us. 
Oh, um, that needs to happen. So yes. Bad. Yeah, there really needed to be a fidget spinner based yes. uh, team. Ugh. Exactly. Like. The fidget what a missed opportunity. Um, shout out to the North Dakota State Bison. Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, Buffalo does not exist in North America, it's all bison. Um, <laughs> so, Colorado's got an inaccurate name. Mm. Um, buffalo is, of course, refers to water buffalo in Africa and Asia and that part of the world. Why are buff? Why is the University of Buffalo the Bulls? Also, Should, I mean, would it? Well, I guess then, it would have been uh, redundant. You don't want to be the buffalo, the buffalo buffaloes. buffaloes. I mean, that that's not great. <laughs> but the one thing about the bison, which I love, which we've seen from a former Met farm team, I think, is they were used to be called the bisons, which is just a typo, essentially. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's just that's not wrong. how you pluralize yeah. that word. <laughs> Um, <laughs> one more name I'm going to give you, which has a great story, is the Racers. Your team, Murray State. My team. They were originally called, I mean, Murray State's in Kentucky. Horse racing is big in Kentucky. So mm-hmm. they were originally called the Thoroughbreds. The headline writers of the day, they didn't like that because Thoroughbreds. That's too long of a so word So they for started a calling him, them the T-Breds, <laughs> the Breads. <laughs> And then, for some reason, they made a bold choice to call them the racehorses. That seems like, okay, now you guys are changing the name. Um, but racehorses, unfortunately, also long. So they ended up with just calling them the racers, and everyone at Murray State was okay with that. That is, I love that. I love that story. I, that's the power of the press, people. It would be like if the Timberwolves beat writers were like, T-Wolves, wolves, dogs, puppies. <laughs> <laughs> no, they'd go with dogs because it fits in yeah, that one dogs. column headline. Well, just, yeah. They're dogs. You're dogs now. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for that rabbit hole, Jeff. That will do it for this week's show. Thank you guys so much for joining me. It was great to have you both in studio. This was very fun. Let's do it again soon. This is a new podcast, so if you like what you heard, please subscribe. Be sure to review and rate the show. It helps others discover the program. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think of the program. Our podcast producer is Grace Lynch, Tony Chow is in the control room, and our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.